Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of the Anik on Chelsea podcast. Today I welcome Stamford Chidge, the podfather. The man who started the Chelsea fancast, and really the reason why I started doing a podcast. Um, yep, don't want to do a big intro, just uh, get straight into it. I, I had an excellent conversation with Chidge. We both banged on about Chelsea for about an hour, uh, talked about the games and uh, just the club in general, and sorry. So I really hope you guys enjoy it, and um, yeah, I'll speak to you again at the end. Let's get into it. Okay, welcoming to the pod, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the pod father himself, <laughs> chairman of the Chelsea Supporters Trust, it is Stamford Chidge. Chidge, good evening. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, Yannick. Lovely to speak to you. And you, mate. And it was lovely to meet you in the Cock Tavern the other night. I saw um, saw you and Dan enjoying a quiet beer, so I thought mm. I'd come and intervene and uh, <laughs> ruin your conversation. No, no, not at all. It was, lo- it was really lovely to see you. I mean, for, yeah. for us... You yeah, know, I was dis- that's, yeah, I was that's disappointed you couldn't take Sorry, a beer mate. for. As yeah, you... I, well, I know. I mean, I'm, well, I had to drive, which doesn't help. Absolutely. Um, so I was kind of, uh, you know, pacing myself a bit. But um, yeah, I mean, for us, that's the beauty of of doing the show because, mm. you know, we've met so many people, you know, who listened to it or just got to know, uh, you know, in the pubs and stuff Absolutely. from all over the world as well. I mean, it's just fantastic. So, I mean, the fact that people come up and say hello is just brilliant. We Superb. absolutely love that. Well, yeah. well on that point, um, just worth me saying to the listeners that the whole reason I started a podcast and wanted a platform to talk um, about football and more specifically Chelsea is because of your podcast, the <laughs> Chelsea Fancast, which I've been uh, listening to probably about four years. Hopefully that takes me out of the plastic. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand you've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Is it 10 yeah. years plus? Yeah, we started in uh, April 2008. Right. Uh, it was literally just before the uh, home leg of the Champions League semi-final against Liverpool. Right. So it was a good time to start. Yes. Although, of course, we then went on to Moscow and lost. So uh, it wasn't, you know, it had its ups and downs even in those days. Well, yeah. But we started it in a pub. Well, I say a pub. It was a bar called Putney Station. Uh, and we used to do it straight after the game which is mm. mad, actually. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. So, <laughs> hum- humping loads of gear down to Putney and, and then carry on, carrying on drinking and usually being incredibly Des- uh, o- overwrought and emotional after a game. Descending so it kind of, into madness with booze did a bit. and emotion. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the next... I mean, I, I love how it's developed. It's become a sort of... Um, you have a sort of a, in superb conversations. There's a real sense of a sort of Chelsea community and family. You are, you're all match goers and um, you have some great characters on there. So we'll, we'll you know, I'll certainly remind the listeners about it at the end, but I really do recommend it. It's a superb podcast and uh, the love sports show you do with um, mm. just on a quick tangent, actually. Yeah. Another reason why I started the podcast, um, apart from bigger admirer of your own, is because um, I was always chatting Chelsea on my Twitter and uh, a certain Irish gentleman, you know, called Parek from uh, Love Sport Radio messaged me and asked me to come on and do, I think it was like an opposition view or something. And uh, since then, I've jumped on a few times to talk Chelsea to various different shows on Love Sport and uh, once on the uh, the Chelsea Fancast show, but unfortunately you were absent for that, uh, yeah, that episode. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's really where I got some good feedback from me, just yeah. chatting yeah. and that went from there. All right, yeah, mate. That was- Gone. Well, that was really that was really unfortunate because I, I I was due on that show, but uh, yeah. I'd been in Exeter in the day, and uh, I thought I could get back from Exeter to London in four hours, but it took about seven. Nah. 
So I actually I listened to the show in the car on the way back from Exeter up to London, but I very sadly didn't make that one. But uh, yeah, Paddy's a good guy. I'm glad he's got you involved. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get you next time, mate. No worries. Yeah, um, brilliant. Okay, so what we want to do today, Chidge, we want to. I want to. I want to. The format is just two segments essentially looking back at our two previous results of course we were both at the Powock game which we'll talk about almost imminently the Fulham game from the weekend and then we'll look ahead uh, briefly to Wolves and Man City and just uh, express our feelings on the Chelsea at the moment um so yeah let's start with the Powock game mate um obviously there are sort of a little bit of a Sunday league vibe coming from them especially not least them going down to 10 men within what seven minutes but um I'd like to get your sort of initial take on the game and what would you say um are the big sort of factors that you'd take away even though they're a bit of a pub side well I I think that's a really interesting point Yannick because I mean I don't think there's much you can take away from that game um you know because a I can't it was it was effectively it was over after seven minutes when they had somebody sent off you know, they're a pretty mm. poor side anyway. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, Chelsea can only beat who's in front of them. And I thought that they did that very, very well. Mm. Um, okay, so I, also, I pose you a different question then, because you're, you're right to say that you can't dissect too much from such weak opposition in that circumstance as well at home. Okay, so I'll pose you a different question. Do you think after the sort of shellacking from Spurs, maybe it's what the doctor ordered for the players? Yeah, I think I think that was was really clear actually. I mean, you know, because one of the things about the Spurs match was that they just looked half asleep for the first fifteen minutes. By which time, Spurs had scored, scored two goals, and the game was for all intents and purposes over. Yeah. Uh, but they came out and they really pressed everywhere. They pressed high and they pressed quickly, and they kind of they looked like a team that had had a bit of a ticking off from Sarri and were out to prove something mm. and were carrying out his instructions. Now, again, I know that. It was possibly a little bit easier against Pauk, but they still had that intensity that I think Sarri demands, and uh, that was pleasing to see. Absolutely, and um, again, yeah, I want to reiterate, you know, the opposition and stuff. But it was good. Obviously, there's been a lot of the fan base calling out to see some of Callum Hudson Odoi. Um, perhaps it's a difficult thing to um, to sort of assess in terms of people expected him to play sooner but if you put yourself in Sari's shoes and his position and uh, the delicate position of the Chelsea manager he probably just wanted to get top of the group before he even sort of fucks about even a little bit with his players and tries to play a kid but um, obviously he got a goal and a very nice assist for Morata at the end he put the ball on his head um, I mean I, 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 from now on especially through the latter stages I'm not sure we'll see much of Callum hudson Adoy. whether he'll go on a um, alone in January I don't know but uh, him and Ruben played quite well um, and also uh, Ruben's been I guess in good form um, I mean there's not much to say on Callum really with that but can I I'll just uh, while I'm thinking of it can I get your thoughts on Ruben at the moment because I've been listening to you guys talk about it a lot on a uh, the Love Sports Show and your own show. And um, if you could just sort of um, express your feelings about Ruben to, to the listeners, that would be good. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I'd, li- I'd like to talk about Callum as well, but I'll yeah, do but Ruben no, by first. All means, yeah, yeah, by all means, I'll, please do. I'll, I'll do Ruben first. I mean, I, I think it's it's really pleasing to see that he seems to be taking on board what Sarri's saying. I mean, you, you've definitely seen a development with each game. 
that he's played. I mean, I'd, I'd clearly like to see him play more games because I think the more games he plays, the better he'll get, which is the case for a lot of these youngsters. But, you know, Sarri's an older manager. He's got a lot on his neck. So, you know, do they take the risk? Possibly not. This is a pattern we see all the time. But, you know, I think he's he's done very well. And I, I thought he was really impressive uh, against Bate when he got his hat trick. Yes. Uh, again, a poor side, but you still got to put him away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that Sarri was right. I think he said that he looked a lot more tactically disciplined uh, against Pauk, and that was pleasing to see. Um, yes. And he also created a couple of really good chances for himself. You know, on another day, one of those might have gone in. But I was particularly impressed uh, with his display against Fulham when he came on because we were we were struggling at the time when he came on. Fulham would very much, I thought, in the ascendancy, could very easily have got back into the game. Uh, we'd lost that dynamism. We'd seem to have got a bit stuck, bogged down. And he came on. And I think the thing about Loftus-Cheek, which, I mean, you know, we, we all love love what he does. I mean, we all saw him play for the youth sides. Yes. So we know what he can do at that level. But I think when you look at the three midfielders that Sarri tends to play, you've got Kovacic on the left-hand side, you've got... Jorginho is the you know the the guy who dictates the play, and you've got Kante on the right, but none of them really. I don't think. I mean, I know that Jorginho is the guy that puts all the passes together, but I wouldn't call him a creative midfielder. He's not going to you're not going to find him in the penalty area scoring a goal. Uh, Kovacic, again, very good tactically and keeps it all together, but you know we've seen what he's like at shooting, so he doesn't mm. look like he's going to score, and that's not Kante's strength either. So. They all seem to be quite a flat midfield three. Yeah. None of them, none of them ever really kind of advancing at pace to threaten a defence, and that is something that Ruben Loftus Cheek does easily and brilliantly. And I also think what he showed against Fulham was the great technique that he has. Uh, I mean, that little movement with Hazard where he scored his goal was superb, and yeah. he put put it away beautifully. So I think he brings us something creatively and. And he's a goal threat. And I think that's something different from the others. I mean, you could argue Barkley can do that too, but I think they're very different players. I mean, you know, Loftus-Cheek is a unit. Absolutely. And we we, we always used to say, for such a big guy, he he gets, you know, bounced by people quite a lot. But suddenly he looks to... to, to, I mean, he absolutely ruined some power player. I can't remember who it was, but... (laughs) You know, do you remember that? They absolutely bounced off him. And this is a grown man against a guy. I mean, he's in his early 20s, so you would have thought physically he's matured by now. But he's beginning to use it. And I think that's a sign of his confidence on the ball now. And I I just hope he keeps on improving. I hope he keeps on getting chances because I think, you know, buried buried there somewhere is a very, very good player. And it would be lovely to see him make it at Chelsea rather than have to go somewhere else. No, absolutely. Just to pick up on a couple of things there, um, we, can, we can touch on Callum Hudson-Odoi as well, but with Ruben, he is um, he does look like he's built for the Premier League in the sense, like you say, he's um, he's a bit of a brick shit house, as they say. Mm. And also he's quite technical as well. Yeah. Like you say, that combination of Hazard was very good and Hazard had a big smile on his face. Um, I remember you chaps talking about, I think it was JK expressing like, uh, or, or I can't remember, or may- maybe it was Clayton saying that he might have looked a bit miffed in that game, Hazard. But when that combination came off with Ruben, he, you know, he jumped on him and he was all smiles. So um, it, it was an excellent, excellently executed move and goal. I mean, I, I jumped out of my chair for that one. And it, it was a moment of relief because you're quite right in saying Fulham were in the ascendancy. So, um, you know, his, his confidence is growing. That He's like, right, I'm going to come on and I'm going to change this game. Like you say, uh, 
Barkley did look incredibly good for a, a period of time. And when he had those three games, he got three goals and three assists. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of um, a lot of talk about him. But there's something about Ruben that when he when he gets going on the ball, that he does actually he he can. I don't want to say a touch of the Eden Hazard, but he has that element of lighting up the pitch. Um which is um, what, what what we kind of need in a midfield. You, you also write to sort of, um, it's a recurring theme talking about our midfield, but to have Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic individually, an incredibly cultured and incredibly talented midfield, but to just have no threat at all for, it's, it's quite an obscure situation really, isn't it? To have such three talented players in the mid, but nothing to really threatening the goal in the final third. Um, probably quite unique in that sense in terms of uh, quality, but bluntness. Um, so do, do, would you, I guess the million dollar question, Chid, would you would you start uh, Ruben? Would you over, um, would he play over Kovacic? Yeah, it would be over Kovacic, I suppose. And um, would you want us to buy Kovacic at the end of the season because of this Ruben situation? I, look, I don't. I don't think you know Kovacic is a bad player no, at all. Not. He's clearly a very good player, but I just think that in a midfield where you've already got Jorginho and Kante, that you, you know, what does he do? What does he offer? I mean, I know he's good at short passing, but it all se- always seems to be very sideways without any kind of forward momentum. Now, yeah. look. Bottom line is, Yannick. You know, I don't have any UA for A badges, and I'm not Maurizio Sarri, so I, I mm. don't. I don't really know what he's trying to to do and achieve in terms of his style of football. There are people who uh, are more obsessed than I am about that and will give you a far better answer. But I have watched football for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and, and as a supporter, you want to be excited and you want to see, you know, I mean, you're absolutely right, actually, just to go back to the point you made, that you, the goal was fantastic that Loftus-Cheek scored. Mm. But, you know, I was out of my seat when he picked the ball up in just about on the halfway line and started running towards their defence. You know, yes. that was, for me, the best moment of the match until he scored. And that's what supporters want to see. They want to get out of their seat. They want to see a player take on people and beat them and look threatening. Mm. And I think that maybe that's a, di- a different kind of football that, that Sarri likes. Maybe he likes this kind of slow, measured, kind of cat-and-mouth type style, you know, being patient, keeping hold of the ball and trying to thread a pass in. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's different. I, ultimately, though, Yannick, no, I don't think any of us really give a damn providing Chelsea win <laughs> that's all yeah. people really care about well that's it isn't it and, and um it's the same thing I mean I don't want us to talk about it for ages but obviously there's a sort of social media storm about the Kante position um I think he played very, I think he played very well um at yeah. moments against Fulham when he turned over possession gave it to got the got the uh, I don't know if he gave the ball to Pedro but he was he, he was um, well, yeah he was integral in that goal and that was sort of Sari's vision but no matter how many of these idiotic pundits or, you know, fans say, oh, that goal wouldn't have happened if Kante was there. And they may be right, but I feel like um, if uh, if we were going to play Kante in a defensive midfield too, or this, that and the other, we wouldn't have hired Sari as our coach. And the board, you know, we may as well have manager X, who's really good, you know. So um, we, he was brought here for a particular reason to implement a particular uh, philosophy and style. And that starts with Jorginho at the base regardless that's um he there's no compromise there whatsoever and uh 
his uh, his sort of defences is nothing to do with this uh, midfield positioning of who's playing where. It's that it's not being executed as he wants, and that's yeah. the issue. And if it, you know, I make the comparison of Pep Guardiola. You know, in his first season, he struggled a little bit, but there was no sort of compromise, was there? He sort of said, "This is the way I play football." bugger it all if it's you know that's the only reason I'm here I'm not going to change we play this way and until it's if it's played right it will work but um you know it's just if um the club has patience and the fans have patience is all a is a different um matter really isn't it well it, it is and I, I totally agree with you you, you know I mean, if, if you're going to hire Sarri then you you kind of have to accept what comes with that and Sarri likes to play football one way he's an ideologue and uh you know he has a philosophy and he's not going to change from that. He doesn't play with a, a defensive midfielder. So therefore, there is no position for Kante in that mm. team as a defensive midfield player. It's as simple as that. Mm. Um, I think uh, I think if you accept that, then you, you have to buy the ticket and take the ride and see where it goes. Ultimately, it won't be up to us whether he stays or goes. It'll be up to Roman. And then that tends to be up to whether we finish in the top four or not. Because yeah. a club like Chelsea can't really afford to be out of Champions League football for too long. So mm. I suspect if they if they think that they're going to miss out uh, for, you know, longer term, I, I mean, in other words, I, what I'm saying is I don't think they, they might not beat him out uh, if we don't make it this year, for example. But I think two years on the stretch they'd probably struggle with and he might find himself gone. No, absolutely. Uh, but, but this is what happens. This is football. It really is. I, I, everybody has an opinion, Yannick. That's that's the beauty of the game. Mm. Uh, there's, there's very, I don't think there's ever really any right or wrong. I think football is very, very objective, and people, or no, sub- subjective, or should I say, not objective. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and that's where you get all of these arguments from. Well, that's people like different things, you know. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, you know, Chelsea, as a, I guess, as a club, financially are no mugs. Um, obviously, they probably are a bit pissed off in terms of how the Courtois deal went you know but they uh you know I've heard Clayton on your latest episode um, talk about Kepa so I I don't want to go into him but uh you know our investment's been quite good and like you say we they they won't want the detriment of of not being in Europe financially and generally we've always done well with sales and you know making money of late so no matter how long you know progressive Sari's uh idea is like you say if it, if it's not bringing in the bucks then they'll uh, they'll heave ho in but I, I just want to move on Chidge, if you don't mind um because i've just i've just had a uh, a thought actually we we're going to talk about callum hudson adoy but there's this been uh, while we talk about him there's this been the, this thing that has been circulating on the, the you know the, the rags and twitter and whatnot about um a potential cap on loans for um for Premier League clubs. Um, obviously, Chelsea are renowned for having a lot of loanees, the loan army. So is Man City these days, actually. But apparently there's a potential cap of six... Uh, I don't know if it's foreign loan players or just general loan players. But um, just for the theory, let's just say... I, well, I, I, just, just, I think I can clarify that. I think on. there are two, two things that are going on at the moment that might be of concern to Chelsea. One is what the FA are trying to do, which is to... Uh, limit the number of foreign players you can have in your side. I, I think they want to get it down to something like 12, mm. whereas now it's about 17. And most most clubs have 17. There's only one or two in the Premier League that don't. Yep. That's all to do with Brexit. And I don't think the Premier League clubs will accept that at all. They'll just tell the FA where they can stick it. Interesting. I think the other thing is either a UEFA or possibly a FIFA directive, uh, 
I, I don't know which one it is. I, I mean, somebody will know, obviously, but whoever mm. it is, that's a different issue. And they're trying to, I can't remember what the number is, the limit. It might be, uh, again, uh, you know, somewhere around 10, 15, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's, I, 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 a lot of us, the older ones amongst us particularly, do think that uh, there is an agenda by UEFA, and there has been for a long time. I mean, this does sound a bit tin hat. Uh, tin, you know, tinfoil hat brigade here, really, Yannick. But yeah. a lot of us do think that UEFA have got it in for Chelsea and have done for a long time. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that we are well known to be probably a, maybe only one or two in Europe, really. I think Juventus have got a, a lot of loanees. But we, we are certainly probably the club that's benefited most from the loan system. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's a, a moneymaker, right? Exactly. We've turned it into part of our business model. Mm. And the irony of that is that we, we did that in response to FFP, which, again, I think was very much seen as dealing with Roman, mm. uh, which they didn't like. And what they didn't like was a new kid on the block coming in with loads of money and threatening, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the order at the top of European football. And that's very much what Chelsea did. Mm. I don't think that the top clubs in Europe or UEFA like that. And I think FFP, I mean, there were people that tell me I'm talking complete arse gravy and I'm, I'm going mad. No, you're right. I my mean, my I, view is that that was done for that. And, uh, and of course, FFP actually now, ostensibly, it works to our advantage because, of course, what it does, is it, it, it prevents other clubs coming in and doing what yeah. we did. And we're already established. No, no, you, you know, I'd, I'd be inclined to uh, to agree with your assumption because, it, you know, it's, it's all very coincidental, isn't it, that um, we were sort of... Um, flush with a lot of finances and players and and you know the famous Chelsea bought the league and this that and the other early doors but um so you know it, it would make sense but just um to step back if there is a um a loney ban financially that's going to hurt Chelsea but as a club we seem to be quite canny in terms of um you know I mean there's a whole other debate about you know, I was chatting on the previous podcast about the potential signing of Christian Pulisic, which um, I don't really think would be a very good signing for Chelsea, but because he's like the darling of American soccer and you know, he's 20 years old and he's the face of American soccer, it would be a sort of very good um, PR move and a marketing move for the club in terms of generating finances from, you know, different means. So I feel like, Ch I mean, you know, make your own decision whether that's a good good reason to sign someone but just say for for like a conversation's sake there is a limit on um loans that will hurt us financially but do you think uh that there would be would you see positives in that in terms of you know being forced to implement talents like callum um you know making ruben a starter uh you know well, what whatever I mean, else you know someone like Bulker, the excellent goalkeeper he wouldn't be able to go on loan he'd have to knock about would you would you see the benefits from from that or would you think it would be just the majority of it would be devastating on the club no i i, I really don't think it would be an issue at all to be honest and well, i don't i don't yeah i don't actually think it would lose us money either i think it'd actually make us money i mean you could argue it might make us less money than we might otherwise have made right but if you think you think of the number of players that actually make it through to play in the first team for Chelsea, you can count them on the fingers of one hand and it would be none so far. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, if you have less loan players, so maybe, I don't know, if they limit it to 10 or 15, mm. uh, how many of those loan players are actually ever going to make it into Chelsea's side? You could argue very, very few. Mm. Um, if they are reasonably good, uh, then you can sell them on. 
mm. perhaps not for the kind of fee that you had hoped. Uh, and we, we, I think we are, we stay where we are, aren't yeah. we? We basically the only the best of the best will get a sniff, and that's okay. kind of what happens now. I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure, and this is a, this is probably a more interesting question to ask, which is, do, you know, do these loan moves actually help the players? Mm. You know, does it help them? Because I remember when I was a kid. I mean, actually, I don't even have to go back that far. John Terry benefited from having a loan at the time he went out on loan to Forest. Yes. Frank Lampard, you could say, benefited from going on to a loan at Swansea. So they, uh, Harry Kane benefited. Dar- yeah. Deli Ali benefited. David so, Beckham went on loan as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you can see that there, there were occasions where this lo- a loan system does work. Mm. Uh, but well, in theory, Courtois and Christensen as well. Yeah, I, I think... Yeah, Christensen definitely. I think that's true. He was playing for a decent side and a decent league, uh, and he was playing European football. And I, I think if you're going to send one of your really promising youngsters on loan, they need to be either playing in the Premier League or they need to be playing in Europe and, and playing Champions League football. That, mm. that for me, would be a prerequisite. Um, Tammy Abraham's still quite young, so you can see why he's gone to Villa. But I mean, what good does that do them? I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't really understand why why it does a youngster any good to play for a championship club or or a, a you know a team like Vitesse Arnhem who are you know a lowly Dutch side who aren't aren't going to compete at uh, the top. I mean, I just don't understand that. I can't see where they develop apart from playing with men, perhaps. Yeah, you know, and therefore bulking up a bit. I agree with you completely, but I think there was one exception to to that sort of. Um, theory and that would probably be Mason Mount only because at Vitesse obviously he he scored a patload of goals and got the assist and now he is in the championship as you say playing with men but he's playing under a certain player who he's based his whole game on his you know his whole life so you know as I'm sure I'm sure you'd be uh, in agreement in terms of Mount under uh, Frank at the moment is probably a good thing especially with the chance of promotion and a continuation of the loan um, I think, I think you know. Look, go, go just to stay on the loan point for a minute. I, I actually do think that uh, you know Chelsea, for whom you know I'm, I'm very quick to give a bit of stick to when I think that they deserve it. But I think they they need to be very much praised for the work they do in the academy at all levels. Just look at what those kids have won Absolutely. over the last five to ten years. They've been streets ahead of everybody else, and there's a reason for that. Clearly, they go and get the best players and they recruit well. But they're managed well, they're coached well, and and that leads them playing well. And when you go and you talk about the loan system, I think that's equally, you know, the the, the attention that they have to de- to detail there is is equal to what they do in the academy. And I think you're seeing that with the likes of Mason Mount, as you said. Mm. But I think that the the only problem with Chelsea's youth policy is that none of the kids ever break through. And there's o- there's there's only kind of going to be two reasons for that. One is either they're just not good enough, and the argument for that it can be proven by the fact that how many have actually gone on and had a really stellar or successful career with a top four side, mm. none, or they're bed blocked by managers who aren't going to risk their livelihood by putting their trust in youth when they can turn to a arguably an international or a world-class player who's been proven to be successful. So, yeah. you know, no manager is going to do that. The only, the only time we're ever going to get the youth on mass into that club is if there's complete financial meltdown 
and we can't buy any players. Which is, goes back to what we were originally saying. Um, well, not financial meltdown, but perhaps a sort of um, a loan cap might might uh, force us to look well, at these players and maybe yeah. implement them. Well, transfer ban would be more effective. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's I mean, true. Seriously, I, know, I know that's kind of been mooted. I, I Personally, I don't think there's anything in that story at all, no. by the way. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure the club of, yeah. Well, the club have been quite adamant that they followed the procedures, yeah. and there's nothing, I nothing think it's in nonsense. It. Could you yeah. see, you know, Premier League transfer ban just, just seems way too sort of box office, to be honest. About you know, um, well, yeah, uh, yeah, a couple of things. I mean, like you say about uh, Loney's going on and say playing for a top sort of four, uh, excuse me, a top four side. I think the club would probably try and do a a premonition and make sure that their players don't end up going to a, a top four rival. But um, yeah, like you say, ultimately it does come down to probably a managerial paranoia because um, they uh, they need to ensure. Well, managerial reality. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I said I've said this before. It's like the club will never change their sort of philosophy in terms of the revolving door for managers because it's a it's a winning model. <clears throat> I think I think I heard was it Matt Law, some sort of journalist, was talking about it, saying. If you asked them behind closed doors, you know, do they have any ambition to keep a manager long term? They'd probably say no. You know, why would we? We change every few years. It creates a refreshment in the players. It creates a refreshment in the league in terms of uh, approach uh, from from a Chelsea perspective. Um, and, and it just works. And, and managers will know that. They'll know that even if they're successful, you know, bar like some sort of romantic you know, revelation to happen where a manager stays at Chelsea for 10 years, which is is becoming less likely in the game regardless, re- regardless to how Chelsea run themselves. So, you know, someone like Sari, he's going to think, even if I do really well, I'll probably be here for three years. Um, and I need to get to that three years, you know, so um, I can't take risks. And maybe there's even pressure to to play these bigger players, not because, say, they're on you know, X amount of money, but maybe there's something to do with, again, going back to the sort of PR and the marketing and, uh, you know, the value of seeing these players on the pitch. And I'm sure there's so many sort of levels to ensuring it. I'm about the most cynical person you can find, Yannick, but even (laughs) I don't, even I don't think that uh, there's pressure uh, put on by the PR and the marketing people to play players. I mean, if I, if I was a manager worth my soul and let's face it, we, we recruit bloody good managers. Yes. Um, if I was a manager who was told by the chief executive, uh, that the marketing department need me to play a player to make money, I would tell him where he could go and stick his, you know, I'd tell him he can fuck off basically Mm. as simple as that. And I think any manager worth their soul would do that. Yeah. Because what you you want the best players at your disposal on the pitch to win the game that you've got to win. It's as simple as that. To fit how you want to play as well. If you've got, if you've got an idea, you won't compromise that for, um, you know, I, I hate to sort of big up Arsenal, but, Emery, Emery just uh, dropping Ozil to be like, no, I want to try something, and um, and you know he hasn't played for a couple of games. There's a few rumours. Obviously, they slapped Spurs around, which was um, pleasant to watch. After we you know, how- well, I mean, em- Emery's just earned himself about a couple of years credit for doing that. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, know. He, even though he looks a bit like a sort of lispy vampire, he's uh, a <laughs> he's description. <laughs> but he's a. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for that, you know, and um, and also his 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 you know half time double substitution just went for the jugular, didn't he? At that Spurs game and the um and the uh, just on that, you know, the generally we always talk Chelsea on this podcast, but 
just quickly, uh, how they're letting Aaron Ramsey go on a free in six months is, uh, to me, is, is just pretty nuts because he see every time he comes on, he seems to change the game for them. And he's like 27 years old. I think, um, I mean, I know Chelsea were in for him a while ago, but he, he, could, uh, he could just go to a Premier League rival, which I think is completely nuts. Yeah, I mean that is a bit odd, but I think I think that he's kind of held a gun to their head and said that he wants three hundred grand a week or whatever. And they've told him to piss off. Well, I mean, here's the thing: is 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 Aaron Ramsey worth three hundred grand a week? Well, I, I I would say probably not. No, no, but that's not that's really not the argument for them, though, is it? It's not. Uh, well, we're not paying him three hundred grand a week because he's not worth that, and mm. uh, well, we don't want him to be our highest paid player. Their their argument for them should be. Um, how much money do we lose by him going on a free, which is what sure. will And it, it, well, and I'll ask you the question, or you know, the club, the question is: Is Özil worth three hundred grand a week to Emery? You know, well, I would say it. I would say no because yeah, exactly. I, I don't rate him. I mean, you know, Özil is a is a talented footballer. Of that, there is no doubt. You know, his ability to pick a pass and uh, and and be creative you know let's let's not beat about the bush he's a good player but i, I would never have him in a chelsea side because he's got no heart you no, know he, yeah. he chucks it in he doesn't fight and like he's lazy way. and he doesn't tra- trap back i think he's got a massive mentality issue yeah so i don't think he's worth that uh they might do or they must have done to have paid him that but mm. uh i don't think emery rates him Okay. And I and I, a lot of Arsenal fans that I speak to, they were saying much the same. Well, they might flog him, I suppose. Still, there's a chance. Well, that's the other thing, though, isn't it, Yannick? Because if you if you uh, if you sign a new contract with a player now, uh, even if they are planning to go, which many of them are, what it what it means is it, it means you protect your fee. Absolutely. And, and this is the issue that Arsenal have got themselves into because. Aaron Ramsey will walk away on a free at the end of the season and they're well, not going to make any money out of it. Well, him. yeah, either that or Janice. It's just the Alexis Sanchez uh, situation all over again, isn't it? Yeah. I'll tell you what, Chidge, um, I want to I wanna go into part two, so I want to end part one. Um, I mean, we don't have to talk too much about the results because um, I think we're both probably in agreement that Powell was a bit of a sort of pub team that maybe was just what the doctor ordered to get the, um, to get the uh, confidence back up. Fulham, they came back at us. Maybe around the area effect, we had, we had Ruben to uh, to sort of put the nail in the coffin. We've gone over him a little bit. So um, in part two, I want to go over the uh, the upcoming games: uh, Wolves tomorrow and City, and just generally talk uh, round up with a bit of sorry chat and you know what we're thinking and how we think things will go. So uh, right yeah, stuff. all right. So we'll we'll come back in part two. Okay, welcome back to part two. I'm still here with uh, Stamford Chidge. We are going to have a quick look forward to the upcoming games um, away against Wolves and a terrifying game against City. Is that is that a home or is that a... Yes, that is. Yeah, a, that's, that's yeah we've got City at home. Yeah. All right, so we'll get, we'll get on to that um, potential nightmare very shortly. Um, okay, so we've lost once this season, Chidge. Um we hopefully have learnt from it and we can develop that saying that bloody Leroy Sane has just scored for Manchester City against Watford they held out for a long time but oh well we saw that coming um, anyway I digress so we're away at Wolves they were promoted as I guess the darlings of the championship last season everyone was saying they were they're a mid-table side waiting to happen a great investment loads of basically Portuguese football club 
Um, Nuno Espirito Santo, he seemed like quite a fun uh, manager that played quite good football, but they've they've sort of a they've had a bit of a difficulty these last few games. They've had some poor results. It is an away game. Is this a game they're gonna? Because they they held a City to a draw, I think, early in the season. I may may be incorrect about that. But do you, do you think this is going to be... How do you think this game's going to be? Is it going to be a difficult one for us? Is this where they're all going to try and raise their spirits and at home game and, and come at a Chelsea that's not quite at our full strength? Well, I, I think it's, it's going to be very hard to call. I mean, you know, logic says that we're a good two goals better than them. Mm. Uh, but, you know, logic goes out the window, doesn't it, when you walk out on the pitch. Um, I think a lot will depend on who we pick. Uh, I know that Neves is out for them. That's a big miss for them. Yeah, that's good. Um, they'll be desperate to to get their season back on track because you're right. They had a really good start to the season. They look very. I mean, I think you often see this uh, with the newly promoted sides. I think a lot of the time they carry their form from the from the season they got promoted into the Premier League, and they do okay for a few months, and then they quite often, you know, go into decline. Yeah, certainly after the, yeah, yeah, certainly after the new year when when teams have kind of had a chance to work them out a bit. So it'll be interesting to see if that's what's happening with Wolves or it's just a dip in form. I think I think Espirito de Santo is a good manager. They've clearly got some very good players because mm. they you know got this weird deal with agents and stuff, and <laughs> yeah. they seem to have managed to kind of rustle a really a, a lot of good players from Portugal. Uh, yes. Wolves is a very hostile place to go to. You I've know, never been up there actually. Uh, it's a proper old you know big big club from back in the day yeah. and they've got very passionate support uh so we will not be made to feel welcome mm. um it'll be really interesting to see how they the players handle that i mean they should handle it with aplomb but i mean it'll be interesting to see nevertheless yes um and but i think the, the other thing that i think we were saying this in the fancast uh, last night that uh the you know wolves are a football playing side you know they like to play you know they like to keep the ball they like to to, to play football not they're not going to part the bus for sure, they're going to have a go. Yes. And I wonder if that might help us a bit because I think the thing that we've really had a problem with recently is, you know, how, how to break teams down. Uh, I mean, offer, I know... Might offer the spaces for us Well, exactly. We might get more space, which might help. I mean, the corollary of that, of course, is that when we get attacked, we look like a colander. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's swings and roundabouts, isn't it? But I've just got yeah. a suspicion that... Wolves won't try and part the bus. They'll try and play football, and that actually might give us a chance. Having said that, Espirito de Santo might have figured that out and think they're going to expect us to, to have an open game and try and play football, so actually we'll part the bus. So who knows? Who knows? As always, you never know, do you? Well, that's correct, but um, <clears throat> I think you're completely right in uh, in saying you know, it might afford us the spaces and our combinations a little bit more if they're sort of coming out and pressing. But in the same sentence... The the first fifteen minutes of games in the Premier League is before we you know Sari has been going on about the mentality fragility early in the games you know there's a chance that they might jump on us quickly home support behind them and you know an early goal might happen for Wolves because we, we you know we've seen that with Palace we've seen that with a couple of games where basically try and crush us quickly before we settle and before you know we try and play Sari's ball you know that could that could there could be a danger of that but just as long as the players basically i think we've got a, we score a lot of late goals i saw some sort some statistic on sky sports that i think we're second and third in the league for scoring late goals um so provided we don't go 2-0 down to wolves obviously the, the likelihood of that happening is very is very slim 
um, I feel like Chelsea will come back eventually and score goals. And um, I really do fancy, hopefully, an Eden Hazard uh, goal in this game to get him back in, um, get him back in some form. But it, look, it is a difficult one. Um, I think that, I don't think they've got a great striker either. But um, just I want to quickly touch on you chaps were talking on your show yesterday about um, Marcus Alonso. Obviously, mm. that was that. It's. A, I mean, just just quickly, I. If um well, I urge everyone to listen to the Chelsea fan cast regardless. But on this, uh, you guys spoke about the uh, the Fulham the Fulham fans chanting a, a sort of generally quite uh, dark and uh, upsetting chance towards Marcus Alonso in relation to the car crash. I mean, I mean, you know, he he had a he had that drunk driving accident where unfortunately uh, someone lost their lives, and uh, you know. <laughs> You expect it from the, the the worst of the worst chance from Spurs fans, but quite shockingly, a lot of these um it was coming from Fulham fans, and that clearly affected the mentality of a uh, Marcus Alonso. So, I just want to take a few minutes to talk about Alonso. Do you think um, the league as a whole are going to pick up on this sort of um, potential and understandable fragility from Alonso, and maybe start giving it? You know, because you know, no matter what club you're at, there's there's wankers in all of them that will try and get a chant together to try and you know, if they say, "Oh, Marcus Alonso starts playing awful," yeah, if of, sings, of course they are. Yeah, yeah. You I know, mean, without so, a doubt, we, and we all do it, Yannick. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, well, you know, I mean, I would, we, we, I, I wouldn't chant that I mean, particular chant. I, I wouldn't either. But I think what I mean, what I mean like, when I say we all do it, we we will all find a weakness in a player yes. and we'll dig him out for it. It's yeah, what call them fat. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's what it's what football supporters do. I agree. There's a line, a line uh, above which you should not go, and yes. perhaps that's one of them. But uh, I, I, we weren't in agreement at all on the program last night about this on the fan cast. Uh, Jonathan and Clayton certainly seemed to think he had been affected by that, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that a football player really should get affected. I agree by with that. you completely, especially you know, can, a Chelsea footballer. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why why a black player would absolutely get affected by racist abuse because that's just beyond the pale. Mm. Uh, and and there have been many examples uh, in the recent past where where players have got the right hump and walked off and all the rest of it. And I totally understand. Antonio that. Rudiger suffered from a lot yeah, of that in Roma. Absolutely. Well, it's it's it's. I'm sorry, but that's indefensible. And I, I have no I have nothing but sympathy for black players who get abused like that because that just shouldn't happen. No, but, not not I mean, today. It, no, uh, but being dug out uh, for, you know, an issue which really, you know, you, you would have, I would imagine he would have worked through that to some degree, then I, I would be surprised, I really would be surprised if that would affect a professional footballer. Mm. The interesting thing is, Yannick, I've just picked up on the standard uh, who are talking about the, the match tomorrow night, yes. and it appears uh, that uh, uh, Alonso might be out with a back injury and mm. it appears that he also had that during the match and Sarri actually said maybe during the match the back worsened yes. this is possible I don't know I want to speak to him he didn't play very well it was awful, I know yeah. very well this but I think Alonso knows very well this too it can happen so I think yeah he had an absolute stinker uh, on Sunday there's no doubt about that but that's very unlike Alonso in my my book I think he's generally pretty consistent for us yeah. so I think it may he may maybe he was he was injured maybe he had a bad day. Sorry, did say that. I mean, you know, when when a, a player plays badly for one reason or another, a, you know, a good protective coach would 
and almost a sort of a knee jerk reaction, perhaps say a weird and knock. Do you know what I mean? It might be. But he's not playing tomorrow. That's pretty well, clear. Well, yeah. exactly. So that, that that leads me on to my question again, you chaps, uh, not to regurgitate your content, Chidge. <laughs> oh, well, Yannick, I can't remember what we said anyway. <laughs> All right. So um, yeah, to to Emerson. Okay, so I'm just going to quickly preface this with some stuff I've said before on the pod, but um, there was a big sort of uh, concern pre-season about Alonso playing left-back, but <clears throat> if, you, excuse me, if you look at how Sarri played in Napoli, it's a lopsided system where the left-back plays forward almost in a left-wing-back position, and the right-back tucks in almost to a right-centre-back position, so looking at as P and looking at Alonso, it looks it was like right, perfect of how they played on the Conte. This is going to suit Sari completely, and I think you know Alonso has been very good. Um, he started incredibly well, maybe a little bit less of a goal threat towards the most recent part of the season, but you could probably attribute that to the way the whole team has been playing of late. How would you feel about um, Emerson um, giving a bit more of a chance to sort of maybe? even threaten Alonso's left-back place? I mean, we have, we've seen him in other competitions, limited sample size, but um, how would you feel about that? Um, well, I don't I don't think he's as, as good a player as Alonso. I don't think he, you know, I think Alonso is a very good player. I don't know why he gets the stick he does from some of the Herberts on Twitter and stuff, because no. I think he's a good player. Yes. Uh, he has. He's not perfect. He has his weaknesses. He's a better wing-back than he is a left-back. I'll grant you that. Mm. Uh, I think his, his his tracking back is slow, abysmal because mm. he's so slow, and that's really caused us problems. And I think teams have figured that out. And I think that's a problem for us, but that's a problem. You know, this is what you do. There is very few, there are very few perfect players. So mm. what you do is you accept what their weaknesses are and you try and cover them for them because you also accept that what they bring to the side outweighs what they don't bring to the side. And I think the the, the classic example of that was the goal that was scored uh, by Son, which, you know, Ali picked a pass because he knew Alonso hadn't tracked back. Yeah. So they pinged it to uh, Son, who who was left with only Jorginho covering, and then he yeah. just had Louise to beat. So, you know, maybe we should have covered better. Yeah, I think tact- where, tactical naivety in that game. Where was where was Kovacic, for mm. example? You know. So, uh, anyway, whatever. The bottom line is, I think that Alonso's a decent player, and I don't think Emerson's as good at the moment. But I like what I see with Emerson. I thought he was really good against Park. Okay, yeah. caveat again, they were a pub side, but I thought he played well. What I really like about him, I think he's got a great cross on him. He's clearly got a lot of pace, and I think he can defend. So, oh, defensively, you know, yeah. So, uh, I think he's he's the man, you know, that the next one on the rank, as it were, you know, because I think, uh, you know, Alonso's. I don't know how old. How, do you know how old Alonso is? I think he's twenty twenty seven. Is he still quite young then? Well, there we go. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I would be perfectly happy, and I think I said this last week. I would be perfectly happy. To you know, if Alonso got injured, I would be perfectly happy to see yeah, you wouldn't uh, Emerson come on, you well, know, instead of him. I think notable attributes would be, like you say. I mean, I remember I was in the Matthew Harding lower for the uh, the Derby game, the return of Frank, and I was watching uh, in the first half a lot of other Emerson. He was the best defender in that back four in terms of uh, winning fifty fifties and headering out. Uh, he's very quick, which obviously is an attribute he's got on on uh, Alonso and he's quite good at taking on a man which again is not particularly 
an Alonso thing, but Alonso can put a cross in. He's good at combinations. Um, he's, he's good in the in the box. He's like he can he can finish in the box. He can fit. He's great. He's tall, so he's good good at headering in. He's got and, great touch as well. Oh, I think, but, yeah, I think and, that's what uh, I like about him. And I'd say above all, what a left foot when he wants yeah. to. He can you know whether it's a free kick or that that we've seen him score some volleys that you just you know any world striker would be incredibly proud of. And you know like like you say probably wrongly he gets a lot of stick from Chelsea fans but if if you ask um fans around the league and I'm not talking about fans chanting obscenities to him you know I've talked to United fans um all sorts they say oh Marcus Alonso what they do for him you know this this like free scoring full back who like scores free kicks volleys he, he does poaches finishes in the box you know and he's a full back doing all of that and when you're not leaking loads of goals which you weren't at x amount of times that just looks like an absolute premium of a player um all right okay so um we've, we've talked with we just that was a bit of a tangent there i just wanted to get your thoughts on that mate but um can i get a score prediction for you for for wolves <laughs> you can try yeah <laughs> go on this is oh, I, hold, hold you I know i hate i hate this uh because I, I can, you see, here's the thing, uh, Yannick. I can I can never predict, obviously, that Chelsea are going to lose. Yeah, so that, that takes one angle out. Well, I mean, yeah, I, wait you for know. the next score prediction. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go three two. Oh, okay, yeah. How about that? A sweaty game then. A lot yeah, of buttock clenching. I think that's classic Chelsea. Really, yeah. I just think it might be an open game. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, Wolves did. I remember, they lost to Spurs three two, and they nearly came back to draw that. And yeah. uh, they took points off Arsenal and City, and I think Liverpool too. So they're due a good performance, I think. They yeah. are. I mean, they are in a bad run. We will see. I mean, I, I just basically I hope Chelsea batter them. That's mm. all I really well, for. yeah. I've nearly every week to be make me happy, you know. But there you go. All right then. Okay, so um, before we sort of wrap it up and stuff, let's talk about Man City. Obviously. I think there's a very, as long as Pep remains at that club, I think there's a huge danger that he might even break this league. Um, especially, I mean, we could do, do another podcast on talking about the, the financial potential doping of City and this, that and the other. But let's just look at it for the moment. Let's just look at them for the superpower they are presently. Um, they are a team that can just play their game all the time and don't have to compromise and it just they just look like they might win the league by 15 points again um i want to get your thoughts um on them in the league generally at the moment how you feel it is for the league and then we can quickly talk about how we think the game will pan out but what's your thoughts on city mate um well i don't like the fact that they're better than us because they are clearly But uh, as a Chelsea supporter, I'm not going to have a. I'm not going. I'm not going to dig them out. No. For doing, for doing exactly what we did. But there's rules now. <laughs> well, I, there are rules. I, look, uh, we we don't know what the reality of that is. Although it it, it does look suspiciously like they have uh, fallen foul of FFP, uh, largely by using uh, companies that are associated with the regime that finance them. Yeah. As, as part of their sponsorship deals and things. So they, they've definitely kind of, you know, Cooked pushed the, the boundaries. Let's to be polite. They've pushed the boundaries okay. on that. All right. um, but I'm not going to complain about a club getting loads and loads of money and start squealing, saying it's unfair. No, absolutely. That, that's what, that's what I used to dig Arsenal and Liverpool fans out for when we, when it, when we did it. Yes. Um, uh, are they an impressive side? Well, of course they are. They've got arguably one of the best managers in the world. For me, that's, that's, that's the, the big one. Yeah. I think Pep Guardiola is just the well, one. I'm, I, 
I don't. I think, mate. Yeah, I'm. I'm prepared to concede he's pretty good. I never liked him when he was at Barcelona, and and, and we used to. He never beat Chelsea as a Barcelona. No, that was a lovely, lovely thing. You know. So, whatever. The bottom line is, he let's let's face it. He's a good manager, and he's got an unlimited budget, so he can buy the best players for him that he wants, and that's mm. what he's done. So, is it any surprise that they're tearing up the league? Of course, it's not because they've got the big, biggest squad and arguably the best players. Yes. Are they? Are they infallible? No, they're not. Are they beatable? Yes, they are. I mean, if you remember how how dominant Barcelona were, uh, kind of around the time that Pep was there, and certainly before that, um, they had this air. They had this air of being completely unbeatable and and just on another planet to everybody else. And yet, they never beat Chelsea. We found a way. We found a way. To, to beat them we found a way to get through in the Champions League against them and this is what other clubs have to do either they either they have to spend as much money as City which many won't be able to if not most or they find a way to combat them okay I mean, but that, that, your, your example is, is a completely valuable one is a valid one excuse me but that is tournament football um, in, yeah that's, in, that's true I, in, I accept that in respect in respect to the league you know like I, I don't think in you're right about the finances and buying whatever player he wants, but you know Jose 2.0, which is certainly not the Jose we used to have. He's had the finances. Check, the checkbook Poulos, you mean? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. That's who he's evolved into now. So it's not everything getting all the money. You know, it no, can, it I can agree. Stick. So I, I, I feel personally, as long as Pep seem, he's a bit of an erratic, nutty dude. I remember his first year, he was coming out with some shit where he just looked mental post-match he was just saying all sorts of weird stuff and you know the fraudiola this that the other stuff all started coming out i feel like he's settled now he but he did remember it was after after buying he took a sabbatical because by all accounts he lost his shit and you know he needed it um arguably that's what jose Mourinho should have done when he we got when we sacked him but um i feel like the pressure of the premier league i can't see Pep staying there for too long. Do you think it would, would for for the league to balance out again? Do you think it would take Pep leaving, or do you think it would take maybe other clubs getting more finances in, or just wising up, or trying to find a way to sort of even out this this league again? Well, I think I possibly, possibly. I, yeah. I mean, he is rather good. Uh, who knows? I mean, it, I think I think in modern football now with the cult of the coaches that you have. And and this is the thing that kind of worried me about Chelsea. I don't know if I mentioned this on the fan cast on Monday night or not, but I wonder if one of the reasons why there's a relatively short shelf life for managers of a certain style now mm. is because after a while, their intensity and their demands on the players and their, their detail and Sarri, for example, just absolutely bombards the players with tactical detail I mean, Chaloba was interviewed not that long ago saying that when he turned up at Napoli, he had to learn 33 different ways to take a throw in. So, I mean, and these are footballers we're talking about. These are not nuclear physicists. They're footballers. A lot of them, yeah. And a a lot of them like to, you know, play on their instinct and their flair and their nous. And I wonder if after a couple of years, they just stop listening to these guys. It, you know, they're overloaded. They can't take any more info in and it just goes in one ear and out the other and their performances dip and then you get another coach and then it all starts again. And that's kind of what I think has been happening for Chelsea. Well, uh, 
you know, Mourinho, uh, Conte, and I know there are other issues associated with that as well. Hmm. But I was, I think what I was saying last night was that I'm really worried that maybe that process has started even more quickly because mm-hmm. I wonder if the players are mentally fatigued because they've got too much to take on board and also physically fatigued because he plays the same players pretty much week in, week out. And I think you can also apply that to Pep Guardiola to a degree. Mm, unless he's, he's bringing, squad. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's got a constant line. Of, I mean, you know, where we only play 14 players, basically, mm. and seven, seven of those play 90% of the time. You know, Pep's got a lot. He can rotate an entire team and still have a very good team. So yeah. perhaps, it, you know, he can keep that going more because of that. I, I do think, as I said, I think it is up to the other size to 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 meet that challenge. And let's face it, Liverpool are only, if they win uh, tomorrow, I think they're playing tomorrow, aren't they? If they win tomorrow and City win tonight, they'll still only be two points behind after yeah. 15 games. It's so level though, it's just nuts. I, th- I think the point that you make is incredibly prevalent. Um, just, just to go back quickly, also with the Chelsea players, we've just come off a an Antonio Conte reign and he's a detailist. And although it's not free-flowing attacking football, it was incredibly hard training and drills. Um, so maybe your fear of it happening a bit quicker this time is, although they enjoy the brand of football more, it could still be a bit of a Conte hangover in terms of another Italian manager being very meticulous and, yeah, um, I, you know, yeah, and, and draining, exactly. draining the players. Yeah. I, I think, I think, I think Conte was a hard taskmaster and, and, and I don't know, cause I wasn't there, but mm. I, one, one hears rumors that he was a bit unlikable. Yeah, a bit of a dictator basically whereas certainly an authoritarian yes where he took the joy out of it all whereas Sarri's very different so Sarri's well he's yeah you know he's a bit more laid back and a, a bit more paternal and you know just easier to to, to be with but mm-hmm. you're right that that might mitigate the the, the overdose of instructions he gives out to the players so they're, they're perhaps more prepared to put up with it with him than they were with somebody like Conte yeah yeah, I think also just just to finish on this point that um, with Sari, a lot's to be said about his background. I know you chaps have talked about it on your pod before, and um, about how he's sort of come from the outside in. You look at Pep Guardiola; he's been bred inside football. He's got this like Croatian thing inside his head, and he's, he's almost like um, a sort of manic side to it. Whereas um, Sari, he's always loved football. He used to work as a banker. He got the opportunity and he's got this like external life experience where he can come in and be like, you know what, you know, don't worry about not eating ketchup, mate. Go and drive your kids to school and life's important. I want you to play hard in my style, but, you know, I'm not going to go completely nuts because you haven't done x y or z you know he's got a little bit more of a sort of a, a different experience in his past and his life that maybe a, is a positive attribute a refreshing attribute to a, a football coach well it gives me hope yannick yeah. that's for sure you know if he can do it why can't why can't we and i, I think there's a lot to be said for that actually yeah. Uh, and this is no dig at the youth, who I love to pieces, as they all know. But I think sure. uh, a bit of life experience can go a long way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I like that about him. And I like the fact that he's, as you say, not like uh, Guardiola, who's been bred into it, if you like. Yeah. So, yeah. Because I think what it does is it gives him perspective. You know, Come, it comes across, doesn't it? Yeah. Football is not the be all and end all. No. It's not actually. 
contrary to what uh, Bill Shankly said, it's not more important than uh, life and death. And, you know, yeah, there, is, you, there are other things. Yeah, and if you can bring uh, a bit of that into yeah. coaching, then all the better for it. I right. think so, yeah. Okay, mate. So um, just to finish on this final segment here, the game um, against City it's at Stamford Bridge um, you know we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow nope. night we might play really well and go into it confidently um, it still looks like City oh god no they're 2-0 up right so I'm going to close that um, <laughs> how, how do you do you give us a chance um, what do you think it would depend on getting a result I personally think a draw uh, I know you're saying that a home would be a good result against this team it's just, just because of the stage at where we're at, where we are at with sorry um how you know how do you see the game going i know i know by by proxy you can only give a positive chelsea outcomes although saying that listening to, to you and jk talk over the years i know you've got the um the inherent potential negative chelsea out, outlook <laughs> Well, I got, where does one start with this one, Yannick? Oh, yeah, you, know, you can freestyle it, Chidge. Just uh, yeah, to say uh, what comes from the heart, mate. Well, obviously, I want Chelsea to win, you know, yeah. but I, I think it's going to be really, really hard. And, and uh, the, okay, the reason why it's going to be hard, I think, is because what we've seen in the last few weeks is a, a bit of a, a condition which I kind of expected, but it's kind of gone the wrong way around. And I think this, this season is going to be very much one step forward, two steps back, mm. you know, but I, I expected the two steps back to come, you know, before the one step forward. And it kind of went the other way around. Yes. We were really good at the start of the season. Yeah. Uh, but I think, and I think another thing that we've seen uh, is, is how difficult and how long it will take for this group of players. Cause I think there's an argument to be had, that Sarri doesn't have the kind of players that can play his system at the moment. Yes. But yeah. I think we've certainly seen evidence that they're trying to play his way, but the big drawback at the moment is that it's too slow. Mm. You know, Sarri, Sarri's football, from what I understand, requires very quick, short passing and movement forward all the time. But it's all done at a pace. It's yes. not done ponderously. And Chelsea are still playing ponderously. And I cannot see him like a lot of managers we have had, trying to part the bus against City and trying to frustrate them. Sarri will go toe-to-toe with Guardiola and he will try and play football. Mm. And I think that's fine. But I don't think we're ready yet to play his kind of football in that open way against City. And I think City are very good and they are good enough to pick us apart. And that's yes. my worry. Yeah, That is my worry, that, that they will just exploit any uh, weaknesses that we have in playing the kind of football Sarri wants us to play. And that that worries me. Having yeah. said that, Yannick, having said that, it's 11 men against 11 men at the end of the day. And if we have a really good day and they have a poor day, we can win this match. Yeah. If we front up to them and we don't give them any quarter, we can win that match. And we've got good enough players to do it. Because we Absolutely. can beat anybody on our day. I, I firmly believe that. Well, yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty. It would depend on so many uh, so many attributes. You know, a striker getting a goal would be step one. I mean, again, we're not going to get into strikers now, mate, because <laughs> because you know, again, uh, I'll I'll urge listeners to go and listen to your podcast. But there's a long discussion yeah. to be had there. But um, I think yeah. it would be dependent on Hazard being in killer mode. Um, uh, I think De Bruyne is still out or he played a couple of games and he hasn't got his form back yet. I know Aguero is not playing now, but you know what that means, probably because he's going to play 
against us on the weekend. Um, yeah, there will be no compromise in terms of style. You're, you're right to say that. And, you know, there'll probably be a, a bit of kissy-kissy on the touchline between Guardiola and Sarri because I think they do have a, a great mutual respect in terms of approach and philosophy. I mean, I, I, it's never a free hit with Chelsea, is it? But it's you know, it's almost shades of that, isn't it? Because of uh, it's a new manager and just, just the sheer, you know, mammoth of this current City team and their form. Um, I mean, it would, it, would, it would be absolute, it would make headlines if Chelsea beat City, wouldn't it? Well, it would. I mean, it's improbable. But as I said, there's a chance, you know. Yeah. I mean, who, who knows how, how Guardiola is going to uh, approach the game. Mm. Um, he's got a huge amount of respect for Sarri and City. The, you know, they found it tough against Napoli last year. So who knows? And, and as you say, Hazard could have a, have a worldie. I think the, the thing that worries both of us, which we haven't said, is that to win a kind of game like that, you need a few players to absolutely step up. Uh, but particularly, you need your strikers to step up. Mm. And I, I don't think we, we have... Uh, nope. I mean, I, I like I like Giroud. I like Giroud. As do I. He's not. He's not. He's not going to do what Costa or Drogba could do. I don't yeah. think. And Morata at the moment is just beyond hopeless. I'm afraid because yeah. he's mentally just not. I don't think he's right for the Premier League, and I don't think we play the way that would suit him. Well. You know, that, that's the other thing. We've got the wrong kind of striker for the way that Sarri wants to play football. So it's really a, it's a kind of a perfect storm of awfulness for poor old Morata. And I do feel for him a bit, but I, they're not, I can't see them winning us a game and that's the trouble. No. So that has to boil down to hazard or a bit of luck, but it could happen. It yeah, could it, happen. It, I'm not it, writing it off. I'm no. not writing it off. And we, yeah, as, and we off. shouldn't, but, um, it does sort of remind me of that game a couple of seasons ago when there was a, a big, it was a big dirty battle where, you know, Fernandinho got sent off for poking, uh, one of our players in the eye, Aguero, did that horrendous tackle on Louise. Yeah. Um, but we we won that game. We won and ended up winning it 3-1. And that was to do with, a lot to do with, you know, Diego Costa, because he is that type of striker that, uh, you know, would... would <laughs> I've said this in the previous episode, but I'd like to talk about it with you. He, he has got uh, many parallels with Morata in terms of petulance. Um, he would flop about now and again. He'd always try and buy a foul, Costa, but that wouldn't stop him. But not not when it counted. Well, I was going to say that wouldn't stop him from in the ninety fifth minute bullying off five players and putting it in the bottom corner to win us the points. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be frank about Costa. Costa, what Costa would do, he would cheat. You know, yeah. he would go down if he felt that we would get an advantage from that. But if he thought he could score, he would never go down. No, absolutely not. He and he backed golfing. himself. He backed yeah. himself. Morata yeah. doesn't back himself. Um, well, he's got me. Yeah. Sitter, he? Well, he did. It's confidence, mate. Yeah. I don't think he's happy here. His confidence is shot to pieces. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I do not think he's a ruthless killer striker either not I, at all. I think i think they're born not made uh, i don't think i don't think the premier league suits him because i don't think he can deal with the physicality of it uh i think he's got an attitude problem because he gets booked for dissent all the time absolutely and as i said a minute ago he he i don't think he's the right kind of striker for us this is a guy who thrives on crosses he's good in the air he can head goals in uh or he can score goals instinctively he's got all the talent in the world i think he's he's clearly talented but i don't yes. think we play the way that suits him more technically all of these talented things added than... together give you what you've got yeah and i'd say he's more technically talented than costa costa was an yeah, amazing finisher definitely. with his feet yeah. but um to just just yeah, just quickly well, while we're on this quick tangent do you remember when you know lukaku i think 
is I think he's an okay striker. I think he's an incredibly known. My thing with Lukaku is he's a known quantity. He's not going to be a worldie. He's just he's got a shit touch. He fucks up every now and again, but he'll get you a sort of sixteen to. 20 goals in the right team you know say that I'd argue he's not in the right team at the moment but when when we got Morata and United got Lukaku remember we got slapped about by Burnley in our first game and Morata came on for his debut he scored a goal and he picked the team up he was like bollocks to this we're losing I'm not having this you know come on I scored he grabbed the goal he ran back to the halfway line and there was that sort of elation from Chelsea fans oh we've got the right one we've got the right one you know and he went on a run didn't he he scored headers he got a hat trick he scored that winner against United we were like oh we've got a cultured Juventus Real Madrid striker he's got his good touch he brings the ball down well uh, and it really felt like something happened, but I think you're incredibly right to say it's a mental fragility thing that we don't have time to fix, even if it's fixable. So it's it's incredibly sad. I mean, Callum Wilson scored again tonight. Um, I know JK says he doesn't fancy him on on, on your pod. Would you? No, no. J- JK is a big fan. Oh, he is. He, he is. Him. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, was it? Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe it was somewhere else. I heard that then. Um, what about yourself, Chidge? Would would you like you said like you were talking about if it was even possible to ship him in January? Would would you would you go for someone like Callum Wilson, young English striker, or would you wait for a bit more of a superstar? What what's your thoughts quickly? Oh, blimey. Well, it depends what you <laughs> okay. want to do. It depends what you want to do. I mean, we're not going to win the league with, no. with either Giroud or, or Morata. Um, I think the question is, will we make top four with both of those? Mm. And I think the jury's possibly out on that. Yes. Would Callum Wilson ensure that? Possibly. But how many strikers have we seen come to Chelsea who look good and then turn out to be awful when they turn up? Mm. Um, the reality is, if you want to challenge for titles and you want to challenge for trophies, and you want to make sure you get in the top four, you've got to have a world-class striker. It's that simple. And we don't have one. So, frankly, we need to go and get one. And I don't think Callum Wilson is a world-class striker. I mean, he might do us a good job for six months, but he's not going to turn up for that. And I'll be amazed if Bournemouth were prepared to let him go to us. I wouldn't. They'd rip us off, wouldn't they? Well, they don't need to sell him, do they? They need the money. No, that's true. That's true. All right, It's unlikely in my book. No. Okay, well, Chidge, I've taken up uh, over an hour of your time. Um, you have, but I don't mind, Yannick, because it's been an absolute pleasure. It's very sweet of you to say so. It was a, it was a pleasure to meet you, mate, the other evening. Mm, I, yeah, I, you too. I do hope we get the chance to have a, a bit more of a chin wag with a beer yeah. before a game. But I've already um, said, and I will echo the reason why I started this uh, podcast, which I'm, ple- I'm quite pleased to say is growing and I'm getting a little bit of a sort of listener, recurring listeners, this, that and the other. And it is due down due to listening to your podcast. So it very much is a pleasure and an honour to have you on, mate, without trying to brown nose you too much. At the- <laughs> right, the checks in the post, Yannick. I'm truly humbled and flattered that you decided to do a podcast because you've listened to my nonsense for so long. Well, no, it's I- true. You know, well, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I hope it's with the aim of making it far better than ours, because otherwise, why do no, it? Not and possible, I, mate. And I, this is yeah. this is this is my opportunity to say to the listeners: um, if you do enjoy my podcast, check out the Chelsea Fan Cast because it's um, it's run by this good man. It's a re- it's really it's good fun. It's longer. You get a good uh, a good conversation between some recurring guests. It's really great chemistry. Some insightful guests as well, and um, it makes you feel like you're sort of uh, you really makes you feel like you're part of. Uh, 
um, the sort of Chelsea family, dare I say it, god mm. damn it. Um, and yeah, I really enjoy it. So, um, and you chaps also do a show every Friday on Love mm. Sport with, um, is it, it's, a, it's Aaron that always hosts, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, he's a bit of a knob, really, because he's a Man United fan. Yeah, but we I tell you what, love him, really. He does well. He does well looking after you lot. So, um, uh, other than me urging the listeners to go and subscribe and and rate the Chelsea fan cast. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug, like your Twitter or anything else you're doing? Well, or? yeah, you can find me at Stamford Chidge on Twitter or, and the Chelsea fan cast at Chelsea fan cast. And I just, again, I'd just like to thank Yannick for those very kind words. It's actually quite humbling to hear that. And uh, I know he's got a growing listenership of his podcast. And I hope that me being on his show hasn't lost him all of those listeners who are fed up of having listened to me for 10 years. I could, I could understand that. You know. Nail in the coffin last podcast. Chid. <laughs> Thank you so much, mate. No problem, mate. The end of the conversation. Big thank you to Stamford Chidge for coming on the podcast. Go and check out the Chelsea Fancast and the Love Sport Radio Chelsea Fancast show. I listen to it ritualistically and religiously all the time and a big thank you to you guys listening to the podcast whether you're new or whether you're a returning listener it means a lot to me that I get uh, so many people interested in listening um obviously it's a new project still in its infancy so I do try and remind listeners to um subscribe to the podcast and whatever app you're using and if you could please give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes because apparently that helps you gain uh, early traction and it would mean a lot to me. So all that being said, up the chills, keep the blue flag flying high, carefree, wherever you may be, listener, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>